0: Social media is a hot mess, so I talked with avid tech investor and actor Ashton Kutcher to get his thoughts on social networks, 5G, and more. The following is an interview I taped with him while at an AT&T 5G event in New York. Some of his answers may surprise you. I'm Roger Jang. This is your Daily Charge. Ashton, so today's event was all about 5G and talking about some of the applications. Uh, and I know you've been a tech investor for a long time, 15 years, I think you mentioned, on stage. What about 5G excites you?
1: I think uh, number one, just just the pure play bandwidth, um, and they, I, I think there's three three functions, right? It's like bandwidth, speed, and, and low latency. And the thing that gets really exciting to me as an investor, number one, low latency. So when I think about like autonomous driving solutions, which I've been somewhat hesitant about investing in, just because like you know L five is going to get here. When's it going to get here? we've we've kind of taken a, a pseudo sort of broad ecosystem approach to it. But also, you know, looking at Tesla and just being like the number of cars that they have on the road and the, and the amount of reps that they're getting, it's going to be pretty hard to catch up. Um, uh, we made one investment in a company called Helm.ai, uh, which I think can catch up really, really quick, um, just based on their approach. But the beautiful thing about it, is like the V2V solutions where you can have cars talking to other cars. You can have smart city solutions um, that basically enhance and actually make L5 possible. Um, and and I think that that lives on the backbone of 5G, right? Like w- Without that, you, you really can't get the number of sensors in that dense of uh, an area to to truly enable you know, intelligent stoplights, intelligent, you know, car-to-car communications. Um, and so so that is one thing that I think is probably the most exciting, you know, aspect of it. And then just fundamental low latency. Like, if you don't have that low latency, you're still going to have an issue. So 5G enables that. Then beyond that, I think, like, just virtual communication is just going to get a lot better. And there are certain fields and certain areas and spaces where you need virtual communications to be really great, right? I was, uh, I was looking at something, I think like five or six years ago, I have a friend um, who, who runs an R&D lab. Um, and he was showing me what military-grade um, video conferencing looks like relative to everyday human-grade Video conference, like our
0: Zoom, regular Zoom calls. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, it wasn't there wasn't even Zoom at that point in time, but um, but it was like FaceTime, you know, like or Skype, right? You know, at the time, and 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 he was just showing me what military grade looked like relative to to civilian grade, and and I was like, well, why do we need that? Like, you can see, you know, you can see and hear the person, and he he said, you know, when you're making a decision about whether or not to go to war you want to see if the general is sweating and which makes total sense. Right. Um, But now we're talking about like, if board meetings are happening on these, you know, teleconference environments, you're going to have the same sort of ability to really sense how somebody's feeling about something when they're, when they're giving you their position on a decision that you're making. That's extraordinary in medicine having a doctor actually be able to see the patient and, and react to the way the patient looks, I think is super important. And, and I think that that is you know, enabled by 5G. Uh,
0: you talked about gaming a little bit. I'm just curious where, what role you think 5G plays in the evolution of the gaming experience. And, and not just about you know, higher definition or anything like that, but like, ultimately, how does it change the gaming experience?
1: Well, I mean, fundamentally, it untethers you from a, a stationary console that's one right um we just yeah, i think i mentioned it on the panel we just invested in this company backbone that is like a virtually zero latency game controller for your mobile phone and with 5g you can now play really high quality graphic multiplayer games um, on mobile devices which i think is I think that's great, right? Like the amount of time that we have out and about and here and there that we can be utilizing that and playing games like that's awesome, but I think i'm not i'm I'm not personally a gamer. What excites me more about it is the notion that the game doesn't have to just be on the screen that the game can be out here, and we can play that game out here while moving around like i think like what we saw with like pokemon go like however long ago i think that was like just like a and we haven't seen much of that since right but i think that was like a glimpse of what can potentially be possible and can only be possible with a 5g enabled environment where you can have that number of devices connected streaming at that rate and then and then also you know if you've ever been in a you know high latency virtual environment it sucks right like we, when when there's lag and like low bandwidth you get sick you don't feel good like all like we're, all of that starts to get really solved as the advances in 5G over time start to start to kick into effect
0: i'm curious uh, you know you were one of the first to recognize you know, the benefits and the power and influence that comes from social media. You were an early investor. You were also very influential online. I'm curious how your opinion has changed about social media over the last few years, especially just given everything that's gone on between the, the data breaches, the misinformation, and just the, the sort of overall change in how we view social media.
1: Beautiful question. <laughs> um, so when, when, I, when I first started playing around with twitter and social media in general it was this like there weren't very many people on the platform um and the people that were on the platform were all sort of people who were you know experimental in nature because that's why they were there and they were beta testing using you know trying this thing out and what was very cool about it was it was This community where you could try ideas and you didn't have to be right and your punctuation didn't have to be correct and you didn't have to say the right thing always. And if you did say the wrong thing or your idea or thought was a thought that wasn't fully thought through, the social collective all had the goodwill to be like, oh, let me show you this thing because I think that you're misperceiving this. Or have you thought about it this way? now it's cut your head off, cancel you, you're done. Um, you've asked an inappropriate question. And I think that's more of a comment on society than it is on social media. The tool is still just the same tool. But what's happened is society has become intolerant. And as a result of that, social because me- social media is just a reflection of humans and some bots, but a lot of humans. And when people can't ask the wrong question or ask a question in the wrong way, when that's not acceptable, I don't think that that's, I I don't think it's about the media side. I think it's just about the social side that's broken. So that's one piece. Here are the things on the media side that are broken. The like function is broken, the the notion that we've given people a very, very simple way to appreciate a piece of content, um, a, a frictionless way, right? Like you can just like something, heart something. But if you disagree with, or you have a negative perspective on something, there isn't a frictionless way to associate with it on most of these platforms. And so what does that lead people to do? It leads people to go to the comment section or to reply with a comment. And the way that people reply with comments is in their own voice. And if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers, you know that different people talk in different ways. My wife's criticism of me is very different than my criticism of my wife, not only in content, but in the way that we give criticism to one another. And we've had arguments in life that have just been about like me not understanding the way that she was giving me criticism and her not understanding the way I was giving her criticism, but with love. Now apply that to strangers at large and let leave them a volume to give you a criticism where you don't even know how that person talks. You don't know what that person's perspective is. You don't know what that person's. And some of it can be extraordinarily offensive and and feel very aggressive at which point in time it, you create these massive escalation cycles of issues that maybe weren't necessarily in need of being escalated. Right?
0: Had these had you actually been able to talk to this person in person, That's that right. you would have been able to figure it out or,
1: or understood where they're coming from or understood what why they speak the way they speak. Like, what culture did they grow up in that causes them to speak in this way? And so what's happened is you have this massive escalation, the mob mentality around that escalation. And then people are getting, like, whacked. And so, but if we just gave people a very simple, frictionless way to say, I disagree with this, you would probably reduce a massive amount of the sort of negative swallow that exists inside of social media. And so there are ways to fix these things. And then you've got this perverse incentive for people to comment negatively on things in public environments because it increases their profile. So if I have uh, a, a low number of followers or people that I'm connected with, and want my goal is to increase the number of people that I'm connected with, the easiest way to do that right now is go to a highly influential, very connected person's page, make a negative blasphemous crazy comment that ranks to the top because it gets a lot of people re-commenting on that and now all of a sudden people will be curious about me and potentially follow me even if they disagree with me and so you're you're driving negative attention towards individual and you're you're actually creating this perverse incentive for people to be negative thus to drive negative attention to drive overall attention Um, so that that's so the landscape has also on top of that you have major media organizations that weren't on social media when i was very proactively advocating because i was talking about the potential of the democratization of media but now some of the largest accounts that are on social media are giant media organizations so i don't know long-winded answer of i i'm not sure I think I think the the incentive systems have to change if we want social media to change and as long as people are not willing to change those incentive systems it'll it, it it'll be the anti-fragile effect of you know driving towards chaos.
0: That's a very thoughtful answer. You've had a number of successful tech investments like Uber and Airbnb. Uh Robinhood I know is going IPO soon. Do you, I'm curious how like how you take into account the societal impact when you're looking at a company to invest like whether or not for better or worse what the impact what the footprint is of a company that you're looking to put money into
1: it's core to our decision making process um in fact if if we have an indication that there's a secondary or tertiary effect that that we can proactively preemptively sort of anticipate that is a a negative of negative nature. Um, we, we just won't invest. It doesn't like, I don't, I don't care about making money that much. So that's, that's number one. That being said, a lot of the companies that we invest in, given when we invest, uh, we, you know, sometimes we're investing at seed stage in a company or series A or series B. A lot of those companies, Um, are are very immature at the point that we're investing them. Not immature, emotionally immature, but like just immature as companies and they end up pivoting Mm -hmm. as time goes on. And so oftentimes the company that you initially invested in isn't the company that gets very large and massive, right? Um, Because early stage companies, especially if they're smart founders, they're constantly evolving what the company is. And, And so, you know, as part of that, like, One of the big things we focus on is, does the person who's the decision maker in chief on behalf of this entity, does the way they operate reflect the way we operate from a moral perspective in so much as when or if they do make those pivots? um, Our anticipation would be that they will make a pivot for the betterment of the most number of people.
0: That's a wrap for our interview. I want to thank Ashton for his time. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at the Daily Charge, or sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to cnet.co/dailycharge. And if you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For the Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.